0: Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today, we're going to be talking about impact investing, or more importantly, John and Michael are going to be teaching me about impact investing, and they've brought guests into the studio. So without further ado, John and Michael, good afternoon. How are you?
2: Hey, Eric. How are you? Hey, Eric. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic, and I love impact investing. I know a little bit about it, but I'm excited to learn and learn about your guests. Michael, I believe you're ready to introduce them.
3: Sure. We have two specialists from Emmett Partners. They're an impact investing firm, and we have... Christopher Vroman and Dr. Laura Fenster Rothschild with us today. How are you guys? We're doing well. Thanks for having us.
4: Good to see you.
3: Excellent. So, I think uh, I'm just going to start right off because Eric and you, you kind of teed it up how I think many of our families think about impact investing in, in terms of maybe not knowing enough about it. So, if you guys wouldn't mind maybe just starting off, what is impact investing?
5: At at its core, impact investing is you know, the the basic concept is being able to do good and make money at the same time, right? Historically, I think that there was a, um, a thought that you could make money or you could do good by um, giving to a charity or a nonprofit, um, but the two never intersected. Um, impact investing is is really the idea that you can do good and make money at the same time. It really has evolved to a place where not only is the idea that you can do those things, but that really you should look for opportunities to be able to do good with your money. Um, you know, the impact investing as an idea was, or as a, a, um, a term was coined by the Rockefeller foundation. I believe it was in around 2008. Um, and, and they were the ones that were really the leaders in this and, and stepped forward and said, Hey, look, you know, we, we don't, there doesn't need to be a mindset of you need to make concessions with your money in terms of of an expected return. Why can't we put money to work in a way that is beneficial for our society, but uh, also have a market level return? So at, at its core, that's what impact investing is.
3: I realize it's it's probably the the definitions of what impact investing uh, is I I feel like has changed a little bit over time. I've heard terms thrown around, you know, ESG investing, which I, I believe stands for environmental, social, governance investing. It, it, it's a, it seems like it's a pretty rapidly changing philosophy on investing. Is that correct?
5: Yeah, and I, I wouldn't necessarily phrase it as it's um, evolving. And um, as much as um, there's kind of a, a broad definition of what. Encompass is encompassed by the term impact investing. So, um, l- let's kind of talk about it in the broader sense. Um, if you look at the the broader investment community and the public at large, um, there's a a spectrum of what's considered impact investing. On on the one hand, um, you have um, SRI or social responsible investing, or, or es and then ESG investing, and then at the other end of the spectrum, um, mission driven investing, and um, Let's go into a little more detail on, on what those things are and, and ha- what that spectrum looks like. So, um, the concept of socially responsible investing um, is one that is kind of given way to ESG investing, but socially responsible investing or SRI um, is a, a a public, primarily public market type of investing where it's a negative uh, filter are a, a negative lens that you look at um, the investments that you make. And, and essentially what you're doing is you're going through a checklist and saying, you know, we're not gonna invest in certain types of companies. So we're not gonna invest in oil and gas companies, um, gun companies, um, companies that do do harm to the environment. Um, that is kind of given way in to ESG investing, which is a positive screen. Um, and, w- and what you're doing there is you're saying these are the things we actively wanna look for. So we want companies that have a sustainable supply chain. We want companies that are um, diverse, uh, have gender diversity. We want companies that practice fair labor practices. And if you're really kind of going through a checklist of the things that you wanna see in a company. These tend to be more of a public market type of investing. Um, and essentially what you're doing is you're creating Accountability for companies, you're you're holding companies responsible in a way that says, "Hey, look, I'm interested in 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 buying your 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 assets, but um, I want to make sure that my money is going to a company that um, is a good actor." So that's kind of one end of the spectrum. And in, I, in, in I would of- just
4: offer there also; those are about operations. So when we think about ESG investments, they're not necessarily what the company does. It's not its mission. It's not necessarily the products it puts out or the way that it interacts with the world. It's the way it interacts internally. What are the policies and procedures we have in-house that makes us a good place to work or a fair marketplace? Right. Um, or, you know, do we if we are making designer sweaters, are they sourced in a way that we know who's sewing and that they're not child labor? challenges. They're not about what they're giving out to the world, but rather how they're operating internally.
5: Yeah, that's a good point, Laura, because the companies that you would invest in as part of an ESG strategy, these could be companies like Procter & Gamble or Microsoft or Unilever, companies that their product and service isn't necessarily a mission-driven product or service, but you want to be sure that they are holding themselves accountable for a certain a um, le- certain number of factors. And, you know, one of the things about ESG that is nice is that it is interesting is that within certain industries, so, you know, one might argue, okay, um, companies in the oil and gas sector will and should have a different ESG score than um, a company that's a consumer products company. But within that given industry, you know, there might be relative scores so what that does is it enables investors to say okay well if if exxon Mobil has one score and, and and bp has another within the the oil and gas sector one might be more attractive than the other so it enables benchmarks for people to kind of be able to value companies in that way at the other end of the the impact investing spectrum is Kind of what pure um, impact investors you know I would I would say ourselves included um, consider to be true impact investing and and that's mission driven investing um, and what you're saying there is we want to put our money into companies that are actively looking to solve some large-scale social or environmental problem um, that could be anything from a company that's looking to reduce water pollution or Help reduce carbon emissions, or um, an education company that's looking to create access to high quality education across socioeconomic classes. So, really, what you're saying there is we want to put our money into a company that the business model is essentially the impact model. You know, a, there's intentionality in what they're doing, it's a mission driven company, they have some social problem in mind with their product and they're specifically addressing that problem. On the whole, that's kind of you know the the broad landscape of, of what that spectrum looks like. And and like anything else in life, you know, it really comes down to matching the goals of the investor to what they're trying to accomplish. Um, like any other type of investing. You know, there there's people who only are interested in doing doing public markets um, funds. There's there's People who are really interested in alternative asset classes are really interested in investing in private equity or venture capital. You, you really need to kind of match the goals of the investor both financially and what they're hoping to achieve uh, financially um, as well as their impact goals and, and the other sort of the goals that the investor may have with respect to how they allocate their money. You know Things, things like uh, are they interested in lockup periods, um, are they not? Um, and that may sort of sway someone towards one type of investing versus the other.
2: The question I would have as an investor, this is John. Um, if I'm thinking about this strategy, two things popped in my mind as an investor. I sense that this type of strategy is more of an, am uh, going to invest into these strategies because I have an emotional connection to that that goal. It's not a return issue as much. I could be wrong, but that's how I would I would think through that. And what's the risk profile that if I invested in a company that had this future goal of creating this this magic event somewhere down the road, what's the the risk of my capital by doing that? So as an investor, how would you respond to those two issues?
4: I think the first thing, um, thank you for that question. We hear that a lot. The first thing is that it is, I would say, a misnomer to think that you're going to, uh, not get your same financial returns from these types of investments. I think that comes from the idea that for so long the way we thought about doing good came out of a philanthropic model. A model where we give away money, we don't see any return on that money. And if you are creating, you know, good investments, mission driven impact investments are good investments first, and at the same time they are making impact. So as their businesses grow and the returns on your investment grow, the impact that they create in the world grows also. It's a one-to-one ratio in that way. And so the decisions around some of those things are about what does this particular fund or what does this particular investment strategy have to offer? It's less linked to the fact that their impact and more linked to whatever the particular avenue of investment is. We're also seeing a ton of data on ESG funds so we'll talk at the other end of the spectrum that the companies that are ha- are ranking higher in the ESG ranks are actually doing better. So it turns out when you diversify boards, when you have different people in power, when you have women and men at the table together, when you're making decisions that think about your employees and think about the products that you're using, that actually your bottom lines go up. And so there's some exciting research at that end. And I'll let Chris talk a little bit more about the mission-driven venture piece.
5: Yeah, I think um, Laura raises a really strong point here, which is there tends to be a misconception within impact investing that there's concessionary returns. And and that's one thing we really wanted to spell is that you shouldn't, impact investing really is seeking market rate returns. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the data, companies that are considered impact investments have met in a lot of cases exceeded the returns of those that are not and you know the point that that laura raises is a strong one which is that impact investing really is good investing right and, and what do i what do i mean by that you know if, if you think about investing more broadly impact or not you know, investing is really speculation and the strategy of 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 the investment depends on on what your strategy is right you might be speculating on the market going up and down. You might be speculating on interest rates going up or down. In a lot of cases, if you're an early stage investor, you're speculating that there's gonna be a demand for the product or service that that you are creating. And if you look at impact investing, that demand is kind of inherently already present in that you're creating a solution to a problem that already exists or you're creating a product or service that will help contribute towards solving that problem that already exists and then it kind of so the the question of whether or not the demand is there kind of goes away then it just becomes a question of what are your typical diligence questions that you ask as part of an investment you know the the demand may be there but then you have to ask well is this the right company, or is this the right product or service to address that problem? You know, what's the competitive landscape look like? Is this the right team to bring that that product or service to market? But these are not things that are unique to impact investing. That's just investing in general. To further answer your question, John, I think there is there is some sort of there is a level of marriage between people's objectives in terms of there may be um, certain causes or you know maybe certain people are more interested in education, whereas other people are more interested in the environment, um, and they can seek out funds that that focus in those areas. So there is that does exist, but they shouldn't go into it thinking that there's any concession with respect to the return. really, these are these are companies that are could exist in any investment portfolio. They just have the the unique aspect of, a product or service that addresses some large scale social issue.
3: Yeah, I, I find that fascinating, to be honest, because, and, and we've had conversations with a lot of our families and you, you sort of see this, I don't want to necessarily call it a gap, but I guess you could call it that, between generations of families where sometimes, and it's not always this case, but many times it's the older generations of the family that maybe have some skepticism as it relates to these types of impact investing options as being able to deliver the same amount of return. And you, you see a little bit more positivity in the younger generations. I'm wondering, do you guys on your end see that as much? Or is it, it is there a
5: difference there between between the generations at all? Yeah, for sure. You know, I would say speaking generally, what, what you tend to see is that the older generation is of the mindset of I'll make my money how I want to make my money and invest it in any way I can. And then the money that I make, I'll do good by giving that money away to a charity or a nonprofit or some cause that I believe in. Um, but there's not really the the thought that those two can overlap, that you can do good and invest it and, and make money at the same time. As you look at the younger generation, that kind of gives way to not only believing that you can do good and make money at the same time, but the younger generation really looks at it as, I'm only interested, You at know, the other extreme of that is, I'm only interested in putting my money into things where I know where my money is going and what it's being used for. And I wanna know that it serves some greater purpose than just making a return. I may be interested in making a return, but that's not enough for me. I need to know that there's something else there. You know, and there's a lot of people, most people kind of fall somewhere in between, but I'd say, you know, more more generically, that's kind of how it, uh, what we're seeing you know, in terms of generation gap.
4: I think it's a shift in understanding again, too. So, you know, this is where we'd like to talk about that philanthropy sits at one end and government programs sit at the other. And for so long, we thought that was the way we were going to solve the problems. That was the way we would combat water pollution. That's why we would make sure everyone had education. And what we really know is that those do things and they do really important things, but they don't change. They don't really make even a little bit of impact in the areas that we're seeing, you know, nationally and globally. And that, that in order to make changes that are going to have environmental impact, that are going to have social impact, that are going to meet people's needs and really create features that are for our legacy, for the people who come after us is gonna be through industry. It's gonna be a change in how we use the entrepreneurial spirit. It's gonna be a change in how we support entrepreneurs and really thinking about what is what are the solutions we have that are our businesses. This is what business looks like now. And so it is a shift even in that way. And so that shift will come comes with time. It comes with conversations and dialogues like this. For us to help folks to see how these are opportunities.
2: Yeah, Dr. I'm Laura, sure. this is this is John. Dr. Laura, I have to I had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, being one of once. the old, be, <laughs> one of the old guys on on, on the call today, uh, I would look at that. You know, I I agree that it's a it's a future that, as an investor, one has to look at. But my question would be, the expertise it takes to find the access to these brilliant minds and companies developing these impact strategies is there is there a skill set that managers have to have is there you tell us about how how one does all this I guess as a, as a manager
5: yeah there's there's, there's <laughs> certain certainly is a skill set involved in in finding these opportunities you know it, but it's I, I think if you give something the name uh, impact it, it creates this concept that it's distinct from anything else that people already understand so I would I, what I would say to that is is there a skill set involved in finding good investment opportunities whether they're impact investments or not and the answer to that certainly is is yes the distinction here is that you're you're specifically seeking out companies that are addressing some issue and you know where does that where does that come you know that comes in the form of accelerators and incubators that that focus in these areas. Um,
4: I think it know. also comes from partnerships. So if you think about the way we're set up at Emmett, Chris's background is in finance. I'm a community psychologist. You know, the work we've done up to this point in our careers has set us up to to have different lenses that are both really important for thinking about how we're investing. And so what, what we know to be true is that good business is good business. And I'm not the one who should be making those decisions necessarily. But what I can do and what partnerships allow us to do is to look at the products that folks are bringing to the table and say, is this a person who understands what the problem in their community or in the environment is? And do they have a solution and a way of measuring the solution that's going to show us that in five years' time, if we put the money on the line now, there's going to be a movement in the needle. And I think those partnerships are more important, whether they be in training and sort of backgrounds or university and public entities and private entities and having those dialogues are really important for us, making sure that the money gets into the right hands and that we're doing things that are gonna really be able to move the needle and give people great returns.
5: Yeah, and what, what we're seeing, you know, much like there's a, a a generational shift from the people who are looking to invest money, we're also seeing a, a shift generationally in the entrepreneurs that are coming to market and what they're focusing on, as there's a larger conversation around the issues that we as a society face, um, whether it's in education or healthcare or the environment, there's a there's a growing number of entrepreneurs who are coming to market with businesses that are specifically addressing these issues. You know, and I and I think the shift that you see there is if if you kind of look at the massive growth that we've seen in the technology sector over the last couple decades, you know, a lot of that has been focused around bigger and better ways to market product and services. You know, if you look at the companies like Facebook and Google and Instagram and all the technologies that underlie those, you know, it's really bigger and better ways to advertise uh, market products um, to people, and I think there's sort of a shift of, okay, what if we, instead of used all these developing technologies and concepts such as artificial intelligence, instead of trying to just sell products to people, what if we used those technologies and concepts to actually address some of the, the problems that we face as a society? And and people are doing that more and more. So not only are people putting more money to work, but we're we're seeing a large number of entrepreneurs who are now um, very passionate about solving these problems. That
3: was really great. You know, there's one thing that we were actually talking about uh, before we hopped on on the podcast here that I thought was really interesting. Uh, and Chris, you brought it up with regard to uh, foundations, and a lot of our families utilize foundations for their philanthropic goals. But it was a very interesting perspective that you had on how to incorporate impact investing within within a foundation. Uh, in and of itself. Can you touch on that for us?
5: You know, the vast majority of foundations, how they're structured is they give away, because they're required to do so, um, according to tax law, 5% of their assets annually. And then they sit on the other 95% and and invest those and hope to achieve a level of return that uh, enables the foundation to continue as an, an ongoing concern you know for the foreseeable future but that that 95% of uh, of assets you know how they how it's invested historically really was not aligned with necessarily with the mission of the foundation um and i'd say you know by and large that's still the case but what what you're seeing now similarly to how you're seeing a generational shift in in how money is put to work you're also seeing that within foundations you know as younger generations take control of of their family foundations or you know other foundations, they're starting to say, well, why do we only have to do good with the 5%? Why can't we do good with the 95%? Um, and now they're starting to look for ways to invest those assets in causes that may be more aligned with the broader mission of the foundation um, and impact investments are, are a great tool for doing that
3: yeah I, I think that's fascinating because it makes it makes all the sense in the world from my standpoint. It's uh, especially if you do have a specific mission for for the foundation, why not have that across the board, not just with with your distributions? That makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, guys, I think we have time for probably one more question. so b- before we sign off, I first off want to thank both of you because this has been a really, really interesting podcast, very enlightening. I, I think one thing that you both have gotten across, to, to us and to the audience is really sort of the wide variety of options of when it comes to impact investing or, or ESG investing. So can you touch on a how you would define a mission driven impact investment company that you would look at as an example?
5: Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it's a great question. I'll speak more broadly, and then um, I'll, I'll provide a specific example that I think illustrates the point. Um, when we look at an investment, you know, our our, our strategy is a, is an early stage investor with a venture capital strategy. When we're looking at a new investment opportunity, the, the first question that we ask is, what's the problem that you're looking to solve? Because at, at the core, that's what's important to us, um, is, is that there is an understanding of of what of what they're trying to achieve from an impact standpoint and that's at the core of the company's mission. And for us, how we sort of beyond that, how we define an an impact investment in terms of a company's profile is that the the impact model and the business model need to be one and the same and intrinsically locked. Um, Meaning as the company grows, the the impact that they're generating grows with with the business, and it's impossible to sort of default, divorce um, the impact from the money that the company is generating. and And why that's important to us is one, you know, it makes it so that we're we're truly putting money to work in impact companies, um, but it also mitigates downside downstream risk. You know, if you're looking at a company where say it has a a buy one give one model, or they they donate a portion of their uh, their proceeds to charity. Um, that's not really the core of of what the company does. and it's easy to separate those. and And why that's important to us is that things don't necessarily always going go according to plan. Companies hit you know financial struggles, or maybe there's a there's a later stage investor that comes in that impact is not really at the core of, of what they're looking to achieve. Um, and, and by looking at companies where the two are intrinsically locked, uh, it helps mitigate that risk that the, the impact will be separated and, and potentially eliminated from what they're what they're trying to do. So, you know, more generally, that's how we define impact. Um, as, as an example, you know, I'll, I'll discuss one of our portfolio companies, a company called Storm Sensor. Um, Storm Sensor, So the problem that they're seeking to address is water pollution caused by stormwater runoff. I'm I'm assuming a vast majority of your listeners don't know know much about stormwater. We certainly didn't before um, looking at at storm sensor, um, but stormwater is the number one cause of water pollution in urban areas. The product that they have created is sold to municipalities, large industrial customers, Large commercial customers and basically provides them with a a SaaS-based software and and hardware monitoring system um, that enables their customers to see the flow of of stormwater in real time, which enables the customers to identify where the problems are in their in their system uh, and therefore devise solutions to those problems. So stormwater is a great example of an impact company. Because um, impacts at the core of what they do, the reason that companies are, or sorry, that that municipalities are unable to devise these solutions to these problems is that they can't they can't measure the data, um, and that's essentially what stormwater storm sensor does is it provides a solution for for that
4: measurement. And so the more municipalities or companies that use the product, the less pollution you're seeing. They're intrinsically aligned. The more they sell the product the less pollution you'll see in these urban areas. That's
3: interesting. Right. Well, guys, thank you so much. This is this has really been great. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but uh, maybe we'll have you on in a future podcast. But this has been great. Th- thanks so much.
1: Thanks for, thanks having, for us. having us. I can't agree with you more, Michael. This was fantastic. I like the future because what, what I learned from this or what I perceived from this is that as people become more aware and the light switch goes on, and they begin to say, "You know what? I'm tired of hearing about companies that have human rights violations, and I'm tired of companies that are that are harmful to the environment," as they begin to shift their funds from those companies to good companies, companies that are doing well, everybody's going to do better financially, in my opinion, and everybody's going to do better, uh, you know, in their. Environments, whether it's urban or whether it's rural, wherever that is, uh, the companies that are doing well are going to get more prosperous and and have a better impact. And the companies that aren't are going to hopefully kind of fade away. That's just kind of what I took from it. So, guys, thank you so much for bringing them in. This was a fantastic podcast, and I look forward to the next one. And for every listener out there, we do appreciate you tuning in to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.
6: This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services Incorporated, a member of FINRA, SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolio's Financial Services Incorporated, APFS, or American Portfolios Advisors, Incorporated APA, and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principle. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.